This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm I'm pumped about today, man. I met this guy through a mutual friend uh, and had the privilege of being on his podcast, uh, which I'll talk about here in a moment. Uh, and he's just one of these, you know, you meet him, there's an energy, there's a there's an authenticity that just oozes out of him. And we really got connected quickly. And since then, man, I, you know, I thought I was a hell of a connector. This guy is like double Uber super connector. He's got this this amazing skill to bring people together, and he does so in such an authentic way. Uh, truly, truly appreciate him being here. Dennis Moralda is a former educator. Uh, he's the founder of the Building Men platform and podcast. He's working on a whole bunch of stuff, including a Hero's Journey retreat for young men in Tahoe, which he'll talk about as we go through this episode. Dennis, man, truly, 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 truly thankful for you being on today. Jamie of House Gruba, emerge <laughs> and ascend program, first of his name. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm in the middle of Game of Thrones for the second time. I just had that on my mind. As we were you got that vibe going? I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yep. I love it. it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course, man. Today, of course, is a very special day in your life. Is it not? Uh, today is a special day. Uh, 45 years ago on this day at 2.39 a.m., I came into the world. Was- How do you know the time? My mom sent me a text. My mother. This morning. She has, I was yeah. eight pounds, 14 ounces, 21 and a half inches long. You, you name it. I think uh, it's where we come from, like right. that Northeast New York, New Jersey. My mother, at 1253 AM, she, she literally like texts at that time. She waits up to text me at the time I was born. And yeah, nine pounds, one ounces. Uh, right. I was a big kid. Big kid. You said I, how big were you? I was 814. Ah, you were nothing. Nothing. My younger brother, actually, he's 14 years younger. He's the co-host on the podcast. He was 10-3. Wow. He was jacked. So jacked. My brother is jacked. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) All right. Well, let's dive in. Let's, let's kind of start with, with uh, your beginnings. I mentioned that you were an educator and you've kind of come a a long way since then and have built an amazing brand with building men, but take me back to the beginnings of this. Why education? How'd you get into that? And what was your, what was your, your journey through education? Interestingly enough, I started my career in education uh, as I went into college, played baseball, uh, division three baseball as a, a college pitcher, went into, into college with the idea that I was going to major in business. I started you know, some marketing classes, accounting classes, economic classes, and my younger brother, I mentioned 14 years younger, uh, just started up playing t-ball and I actually coached his team. Um, I was 19, he was five. And I started coaching his team and I really enjoyed the coaching aspect of education. So I changed my major from uh, business management to elementary education. I I got a degree K through eight and wanting to coach. That's why I ultimately got into education. Got a uh, job right out of college, uh, teaching and coaching varsity baseball in Central Jersey. And as soon as I started, I loved leadership positions. We had this grade level leadership position that I took as a 22 year old. And so I was in charge of, you know, doing the budget for our grade level, planning the field trips, things like that. And I really enjoyed the educational, the leadership part of education, immediately went back to get my master's degree in educational leadership. So I was teaching full-time coaching and going one day a week, driving five hours or an hour down to Delaware for a five-hour class once a week. 
So I fast-tracked it, and I only taught for four and a half years before getting my first leadership position where I became an assistant principal at the age of 28 in Central Jersey. That's when I actually started the Building Men program. And I could talk more about the, the origin story to the Building Men program as well. Yeah, let's dive in. Let's just kind of go right through it. So yeah, keep yeah, going. So, so with Building Men, I, I started as an assistant principal at a junior high school, and it immediately I recognized there's, there's a lot going on with the young men here. So they were you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. And immediately recognized that one, they were coming to school late or not coming at all. They were getting into fights at a alarming rate when compared to their female counterparts, as you know, you would expect getting thrown out of classes, failing grades, getting classified into special education. And um, it, it, it just, I, I saw that they, they needed something. There needed to be something that we, that I can do as, as an assistant principal in the school that would help them along on their journey. So I started this boys group. I called it building men. And uh, basically I ran it where it uh, started an hour before school and uh, we set it up in a circle and we, we would start talking about things that were on their minds as young men. And initially I had almost every single seventh and eighth grade boy in the school joined the program. And I thought, wow, I'm onto something. I must be really cool assistant principal. But the reason why was there was a synonymous girls program that was going on at the same time called Girls Speak Out. And so the boys Holy were like, F them. I want to I want to go and I want to talk a bitch about the girls. I want to talk about boobs. I want to talk. And, uh, <laughs> so they joined. And once I got them in, I hooked them pretty much. And basically what we did in the program, Jimmy, was we broke down a lot of the uh, preconceived notions they had around masculinity and what it meant to be a man. And I used several books as part of our journey, video clips like the Jimmy Valvano 1993 SB speech was something I used, the poem If by Rudyard Kipling, The Man in the Glass, things like that. There's actually a poem called The Bridge Builder by J Will Allen Dromgul. Um, that's a really important poem that I would use as well. And I started to, to help them understand what society was telling them in that age group. And I'm sure we, we both had these same ideas being a man initially when you're in elementary, middle school, a little bit beyond was you were a better athlete. So your athletic success meant you were a better man. So you were bigger, faster, stronger than your other in your male counterparts. You had the status of being a better man in their eyes. Then they got into high school and it became how many girls can you bang? It was more along sexual prowess and the notch on the belt idea and then after that, it was economic success in the fact that, you know, how many zeros are in your bank account? What kind of car are you driving? What does your house in the hill look like? You know, do you have these granite countertops and all this, these material things? And what we started to slowly do is break down those ideas and them understanding that every single one of those things could potentially be taken away from you. So if you're basing your idea of being a man and masculinity on those things, where are you? If you you're unable to play sports anymore. If you are unable to perform sexually for whatever reason, and or if you're, you lose your job or the stock market crashes, and if masculinity is based on those things, there's a hole. We, we find this void in ourselves. So we started to create ideas of masculinity that could come from something intrinsic. It could come from something internal. It could be about our integrity. It could be about our character, about resiliency, about about building relationships with other people and finally being centered around some type of purpose in our lives where we're doing good for other people. And those are things that could never be taken away from us. So this program I started, I recognize immediately, Jamie, that I'm onto something here. There's, there's real power in this. The boys in the school, they were coming to school on time. 
not getting kicked out of class, not getting into fights. Our suspension rate dropped 400% in one year with the building men program being, I don't know if it, if everything was because of that, but I think it had a really big part in it as well. Kids were getting classified into special services less. So I was like, I am onto something here. I need to do something with this program. So what did I do? I wrote, I journaled about it. I put the journal up on a shelf and I looked at it for the next 15 years saying someday, someday, one day, I'm going to do something with this. I started to climb the career ladder. I went from being an assistant principal to being a principal in, in two very affluent areas um, in New Jersey, brought the building men program to both of those school districts where I worked and again, seeing the enormous impact of it, but I didn't do anything with it. It just sat there. Um, I always wanted to do something more of a big picture idea with it. So th- personally, I was going through a lot, had three kids along the journey. I have a 16 year old, a 14 year old, and a 13 year old, uh, an 11 year old, I'm sorry, um, went, got separated, went through a divorce during this process. And I found myself in the spring of 2020 after leaving education and I left education. It was much like your journey when I had you on the podcast. You had the, this moment where you were listening to Secrets, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah that's exactly um, it. One Republic. And now I hear that song and I think of you immediately. So <laughs> I think of me too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's embarrassing sometimes. I'm, you know, I have music on. I'm in the shower and that song comes on and I'm thinking of Jamie Gruber right now. What the hell's going on? So, there we go. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm in this spot where I left education, the public education in 2019, and I, knowing that there was something more out there for me, I was also told by a superintendent and a board of education that I can't be doing these things anymore. I can't be holding these boys group for a million different reasons, most of which being we need to raise our standardized test scores. We need our test scores don't look as good as they need to look as compared to the neighboring school districts. And I, I, I need to get out. I need to, I uh, didn't feel authentic to me anymore. So I rolled a dice, gambled on myself. And I started working with school districts around the country in an entrepreneurial fashion, um, working with districts around community building, around trauma response, around proactive behavior management, around engaged learning strategies. And it, it was going really well. Um, I was traveling. I was doing keynote speeches in those realms, mostly in middle school areas. But then there was this thing that happened in 2020, in the spring of 2020, that shut schools down. I'm in the middle of a divorce. Schools are shut down. And now I'm left with, with basically nothing. I am at this moment in my life where I really had to take a hard look at why I went, to, why I made the decisions I made. And I had a like I went through a significant depression during this time, a really low spot. Um, and, and, you know, through a couple mentors and a couple coaches was able to pick myself up out of that dark spot. And I had this moment where I was like, if I'm going to, to move forward in this direction, I need to go back to what it was all about for me, what my life was about, where I felt like I made the biggest impact and purpose. And it was with building men. So I started this podcast July 1st of 2020. To me, it was like, I needed to get it out by independence day because that was ceremonial for me. This, you know, independence day was, was the coming out party party for building men. And, um, I, We'll release our 99th episode of Building Men on Sunday, and the 100th episode will come out on Tuesday. We, we do Sundays and Tuesdays, this podcast. It's gone through a, a big renaissance itself as a, you know, as a podcast over the last year and a half or so, and now it's full force forward on it. It's, it's you know, no holds barred and no looking back with where we're going with this podcast.
Incredible guests too. Matt Bodro, some of you may recognize from uh, an episode or a few episodes ago. Uh, you introed me to him uh, after he, I believe, was on your podcast, or maybe it was vice versa, or both for that matter. Um, but you've had, you know, professional athletes on. You've had some amazing guests. Some of you whom you shared with me, and I'm grateful for that. And you know, as as always, I I'll, I will and have shared back with you. But the um, the podcast itself is very impactful. You spent 15 years. Uh, shelving this to some extent, shelving at least your desire to leave. When you did leave and you started to bring this to other schools because your superintendent said, hey, look, we need money to come in. So we need the standardized test scores to come up. Is that accurate? Is that kind of the, the genesis of it? The basis of it is more money for better scores? Yes and no. Um, in New Jersey, school districts are funded 90% uh, based on local property taxes. So for, for the school district where I was working, um, for, for our re- enrollment to re- remain at a, you know, at a consistent basis, people needed, wanted to come to that school district because we had test scores that looked better than the, the neighboring school districts. So that was never spoken to me. It was gotcha. one of those, you know, you, you understood that this is what we needed to do because if we're going to pass our budget this, you know, this upcoming school year, there's a, a million different things had to happen. Part of it was our test scores need to look a little bit better. And so for me, when I have an opportunity to either have a, a, a social group with, with young men around the idea of masculinity and helping them become better, stronger men, or, you know, look at data in the, you know, eighth grade language arts classes for this subgroup and make sure that the teachers are hitting this standard and this standard by such and such a date. It, to me, that was not where I needed to spend my time. It was with the, the community building aspect and helping the young men understand what it meant, that's going to benefit our society in a much deeper level and the individual students rather than them getting one more question right on some ridiculous assessment. Some schools valued this, obviously, though, because when you left, you built a career out of bringing this to other schools. What's the, what's the profile or the avatar of that school type that you would work with? Is it more affluent communities? Is it more uh, you know, inner city? Like, What schools saw the value in what you're doing? What, 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 what was it about those schools that saw the value in what you were doing? Really, it was any school that had students that needed to be known. And that's one thing that all kids, they have that need. And I base it around the idea that there are five developmental needs with um, you know, pretty much any student, but human beings in general, it's the need for autonomy where your voice is heard, but your voice mm-hmm. is a part of the space, the need for competence to feel like you are good at doing whatever it is that you're doing, the need for fun, the need for relationships and the need for safety. So it's autonomy, competence, fun, relationship and safety. And when you boil it down, human beings have those five developmental needs, those five basic needs as well. It's how do we go about meeting those needs in an appropriate way in a community type of an atmosphere. So I would, that's how I based my ideas around. And to be totally honest, there have been some school districts and some organizations that have heard my podcast and I'm very critical the way that education is working right now and are not interested in having me come back and work with them because I am very critical of the way education works. And I'm sure Matt talked about it when you interviewed him, the idea of education versus schooling, and they are not synonymous in nature. And um, that's where I saw it going. So now my focus is on what can I do to one, help young men that are struggling in some aspect of their life, unsure of where their career paths are going to lie based on what education system is telling them. And then two guys that are in our age range, you know, in that mid 30 to 50 year old range where you feel like you've gone on this certain path in your life, that this is what you are supposed to be doing because of whatever reason. And 
decided to go in a different direction or are, are in the process of deciding that second mountain idea, you know, where you climb the first mountain. And I found myself in the valley looking in where the hell am I supposed to go right now? Um, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't, um, it wasn't pretty all the time, but it was so worth it when I decided to climb up that second mountain in my life. 100%. Are you still working with schools then at this point, or is that part of the business kind of sunset? Um, that's on my, my own individual. I still work with schools. Building men just started getting into school districts where I'm, I'm structuring. What we are trying to do is work with teachers to help them understand the importance of mentoring and their, the importance of being that role model in students' lives. Just started working with school districts in that capacity. Our work primarily is with you know, young men on an individual basis and then guys who are going through something challenging in the lessons we've learned through building men. What criticisms uh, that you have of the way public school or the way school is is today is are people taking exception to? Are educators taking exception to? What are those opinions that are the most controversial? That we're creating a standardized cookie cutter employee in schools right now. Why do they have a, what 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 evidence do they have to the contrary? That that it's that they should not be doing that. Yeah, meaning like, what is their argument to the contrary of that? Like, what are they saying when they say we take exception to that? It's not true. Based on what? Like, how do they how do they argue that? They they're basically they're saying in the way that I'm presenting it on my on the podcast is I am saying that schools are such an antiquated the way that schools are set up it's an antiquated system right now that was developed in the early 1900s to create factory workers. Yeah. And there hasn't been a whole lot of change. They'll, they'll, the pendulum will switch uh, shift slightly in that, but. What it comes down to is that much of the curriculum that students are learning right now is the same curriculum that we learned, that our parents learned. So you're a 16-year-old kid and you're sitting in a, in a class learning about 18th century you know, literature. What are, the, what are the things that our kids need to learn when they're going through school? What are the real lessons? And here's the other thing that I say. We don't do a good enough job in schools. Learning happens when there's an experience that's attached to an emotion. Think about your own experience in school and it's the things that you learned it might not have been in a specific class. It might have been a teacher that took an interest in you in a, in a deep way that pushed you further than you thought you can go. You might have had a really you had, had an experience where you felt elated or overjoyed over a situation. You'll remember what happened during that or it could be extreme sadness or it could be whatever it is. Think about I mean, when we attach sadness to an experience, you could tell me exactly where you were when you heard that Kobe Bryant died. Yeah. You could you could relive that because there was an intense emotion attached to that experience. The same thing. I remember what I was doing when I heard about Magic Johnson coming down. Oh, when when yeah. I heard that he had AIDS, I was with my father yeah. shooting around at a basketball court. I remember hearing that on the radio, and I there was such an emotion attached to it. What we do in schools is we give out a, a worksheet. We tell them to read this book, do this. To, there's not an emotional experience attached to it, or we're not asking them what they think about a specific situation. The other thing I do, and uh, you know, people might push back on this, is I challenge teachers not to overuse praise with kids. Hmm. And they say to me, what do you mean? You, you should absolutely praise kids. And I talk to them about their motivation behind praise. So is your motivation just to have them be compliant for whatever reason? Jamie, you did a great job on that assignment. Way to go. Awesome. You're so cool. That was great. Is my motivation, okay, you feel good about having the sticker in the upper right-hand corner of your paper, or is my motivation for you to like me because I just gave you some level of praise? Mm. So when I say that to teachers, I say, instead of giving praise, ask follow-up questions. So if you hand me something, I might say, 
Jamie, what was the biggest aha moment you had when you did this assignment? Or what other questions do you have about this topic that you've, you've discovered about yourself? Or what are the next three things you want to learn about from this? I'm still acknowledging you. I'm validating what you're doing, but I'm not giving any false praise. And I'm not just a, a pat on the back, go sit down, kid. It's, it's helping you understand and dig on a deeper level. And I think that that's what we're missing in education as well. It's just like, write this, hand it in. I'm going to write it in the, in the um, assignment book. I'll give you your grade. You get a 98. We'll move on to the next thing. No learning is happening. No deep learning. It's a rote memorization. And then they move on to something different where I think kids should be experienced to mentorship, to internships, to something where they're doing and learning and creating at a much earlier level. I don't think we give kids enough credit. Middle school kids can absolutely start a business when they're in sixth grade. They, they can absolutely go in front of the school and, and do some type of a public speaking thing, going through it and learning how to do it in that experiential way. It'll attach to them in a deep way. And I could go in a million different directions just with, you know, uh, things that I've read about over the last year plus uh, about how our mind works. The um, You are the placebo by Dr. Joe Dispenza, like those kinds of things about how our mind will attract what we're looking for as well. Now we can maybe, yeah, we might dive into that, but I, I want to talk about uh, the reaction or ask you about the reaction of teachers then. So I feel like, so you're working with a teacher, coaching a teacher on, Hey, you know, don't overuse praise and these sort of tactics, which I think that's brilliant, by the way, ask questions, get people talking about it as opposed to great job. Cause a great job is my problem with public school. Like on the top of the paper, it says a or B or C or D and that determines your worth, right? So praise is the same thing potentially. So, uh, so asking the questions makes a lot of sense to me. What is the reaction that you get from teachers? Do they implement or is there too much pressure on standardized test scores or whatever, or pressure from the superintendent, are teachers able to execute or, or do they execute what you coach? I ask them to give it a shot. I ask them to just try it one or two times during the course of a week. Not only that, the use of sarcasm when you're working with students. And I, I, I as a sarcastic person myself, that was a tough thing for me not to use sarcasm. But I teachers are like, oh yeah, I'm sarcastic and the kids like it and they get it. And I'm like, are you hundred percent sure that every one of your kids understands sarcasm when you're using? Cause if they don't, then it's just you being a dick to the kids pretty much yeah. to talk about using manipulation or, or guilt with kids. There are so many negative things that are happening in the classroom right now. And what I was doing, what I've been doing is just pulling back. It's like the wizard of eye standing behind the curtain and that's the education system. I'm like, let's all look at this. It's this little man behind the curtain. He's pulling all these levers and there's this great big green head out in front of us. That's, that's not the, the reality of it. So let's pull it back and let's roll up our sleeves and truly look at it. And I think education just needs to be reworked in this country. We need to scrap it and start all over again with, with what's going on, what's our current reality. And the other thing over the last year and a half, we've recognized we can absolutely do that. And we've, we found a way to do it virtually. So there can be some hybrid version where schools don't necessarily need to be everyone in a geographical area. So just because you live in central New Jersey, you have to go to school with kids from central New Jersey. Why not have schools based on aptitude and interest and something that they're really passionate about that will help them in the future? Maybe there's a hybrid version that we could do something like that. I just feel it's been, it needs a shakeup right now. You said you've seen uh, evidence of this being a possibility, the hybrid version. There's no such thing as a snow day anymore, which is sad. Yeah. You know, there's, there's this is sad true, I know, that right? snow days are gone now because <laughs> yeah. we have had to 
shift our focus and understand we can absolutely instruct in a virtual capacity mm-hmm. and not in a, not a hundred percent. I do, do believe that there needs to be some face-to-face communication. We have certainly lost that during the last year and a half, that in-person relational piece, but letting kids choose different adventures during this journey and, and schools have done that. They have had some face-to-face, some kids doing virtual and some where there's screens in the classroom and kids being there present at the same time. It's not optimal, but, but it is possible. And my point there is that instead of just saying, we've always done it this way, so we're going to continue to do it that way. Yeah, let's yeah. look at it from a different perspective. Let's get up in there in the 40,000 foot view and take a look down and say, let's be creative here. Let's let's challenge the status quo and see what we can do in the benefit of our students to help them become successful in the future. What will that take? Because there's a movement here. There's a movement toward all, you know, as we call it, alternative education or other education sources. But I still feel like it's very, very niche. It's very, very small. I mean, we're in it, so it feels big. But on the in the grand scheme, most people, you know, they value what is public education because that's what they did, right? It's just kind of rinse and repeat. What does it take? What will it take for a, a massive shift into a different way? Like you said, scrapping it all. Is it possible to do that, to scrap it all and start from scratch? And if so, how? It is possible. It's not an overnight thing. I, I believe it is possible. I think the, the one, the teachers union is in New Jersey in particular is one of the strongest unions in the entire country is the New Jersey teachers union. So that's one of those things where if you, if a teacher has to work one minute beyond their, their contracted time, you know, you could be getting a visit from the union rep, you know, for whatever it is. But I think it takes people talking about it. I think what's happened is people have, have had strong opinions around it, but they felt like their voice wasn't being taken seriously or that there wasn't a platform for it. Another thing that's happened over the year and a half is that last year and a half is that people have had the opportunity now to reinvent themselves and be able to be in a situation where they're now talking about these things that are going on in education or in any given profession um, that has given us an opportunity to have our voices out there. Some people are total idiots, things that they're saying, but other people have really valid points. So I think it, it's you know continuing those conversations. And eventually there's going to be someone that hears it that has a large enough voice and audience that they're like, you know what? We need to look at this. We need to change what's going on here because it's not right. It's not, it's not the best for our kids. And if that's truly our, our idea and that's truly our motivation behind this, let's get out of our own way and let's move in another direction. Talk about the teachers union. Does it boil down to, and maybe this is just my own perception, but does it boil down to accountability at the teacher level? And a quick backstory on that. I had a friend that was a teacher uh, and I remember talking about charter schools. Charter schools have become very popular. And his problem with charter schools was that there was sort of a, I don't know, uh, metrics in place for teachers to perform at a certain level. Otherwise they could potentially lose their job versus a public school, which you have a unionized teacher after a few years, they get tenure and they, you know, unless they do something illegal, essentially, from what I understand, you know, they're, they're set for life, right? They're good. And his point was like, yeah, we need that security so that we can really work with kids. And maybe it's my corporate business minded background. I was like, yeah, but you have no, no accountability. Is that a component or tell me if I'm wrong on that? No, absolutely. In in New Jersey, and I can only speak from my experience as an administrator in New Jersey, pretty much for a long period of time, there was not that accountability. A lot of school districts didn't even have an observation tool or some kind of a metrics that they would use to observe teachers or evaluate teachers. And I could could talk about this for 72 hours straight. But the problem is there was, it went from no accountability where pretty much you had to touch a kid. You had to do something really inappropriate to get, to lose your job in New Jersey. It started to go in the level of um, you needed to, there was, 
um, a process where you can be on an action plan if you had a substandard rating. But even that, I, I still remember there were there. I was working in a school district where there was a teacher that wasn't well liked by the administrators. And it was like, all right, we need to make sure that we get into that classroom and, and everybody gives that teacher a bad rating, no matter what you saw. So this way we can put the teacher on an action plan. The teacher that was more popular, you would go into the classroom and it was like, all right, great rating, move on to the next teacher. So that that, that level of accountability, it did start in, in New Jersey where I was working as an administrator, but it wasn't, it didn't, didn't do what it was intended to do. I don't believe, I believe every year you should have to, you should have to earn it. You know, you should absolutely have to earn it every single year. And it, it doesn't, there was a, a piece of it that was attached to the student's test score. So if going in, I knew that I would get a lower rating if my kids didn't achieve more than 2% or less than 2% um, on the standardized test score. So that became part of my rating. So now if I have a choice to either help students understand something they were really interested in learning and going down their own unique path, or I could teach to the test because that's part of my job performance. Now, a lot of teachers went in the direction of, I'm just going to teach you the test. I'm going to make sure that I hit this standard and that standard that I know is going to be assessed on that standardized assessment. Where for me, I was like, the kids need to learn about communication. They need to learn about how to be assertive, how to uh, resolve conflict, how to communicate in a positive way. None of those things are ever assessed, but those are life skills that every human being is going to need if they're going to be successful. You, um, you talked earlier about with building men, um, and I jotted this down because I wanted to come to this. And then I want to switch over to a couple of things that I think you're, you're really great at and want to dive into more on. This is a little teaser for you. I opened the loop there. Some things you're great at and we're going to dive in on. But with building men, what I, what I think about uh, my own perception, if I'm in your shoes and I'm thinking, hey, I want to do this, and you, you executed this incredible program for, for many years, back to the age 28 when you were vice principal, dads at that age, dads of 13, 14, 15-year-old boys come from a different generation and maybe a different view on masculinity. My, my, um, my fear or perception would be that when What's going on, everybody? It's Jamie. I'm jumping in real quick here because some people are listening to this podcast thinking, man, I hear this guest. I hear what they're talking about. This whole go abundance thing sounds pretty cool. I'd love to be a part of that. And I would say to you, if you are qualified to be part of GoBundance, you're a millionaire or accredited at the very least, jump on to GoBundance.com and just put your application in. You'll get on a call. It might even be with me where we can talk about what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, and what it is to be part of this community in depth. Would love to have a conversation with you about that. It's been just so life-changing for me. And for those of you out there that are saying, yeah, sounds great. I would if I were a millionaire or if I were accredited, but I'm not there yet. We've got that now. We've built a program and I run it. I love, love being a part of it. I left my job for it called Emerge and Ascend. Emerge is where you got to start. It's a 12-week intensive sprint goal-setting course. You're going to get curriculum every week. You're going to get live intervention every week. You're going to get connection with GoBundance members every week. You're going to get accountability from like-minded people every week. Jump into that, kill it, and we invite you to Ascend, which is essentially the GoBundance Mastermind without the million-dollar requirement. And we actually even add in coaching to help folks find their purpose, their mission, their values. It's intense. It's, it's everything all wrapped in one. So again, if you're a millionaire or you're at least accredited and you're wondering about this GoBundance thing and that should I, shouldn't I, just apply. Throw your name in. You lose nothing. All you do is put your name into an application form. You get on a phone call and then you decide. If you're not yet at that million dollar mark, 
look at Emerge. GoBundance.com slash Emerge. And what you can do as well is drop my name in there, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, and we'll knock 200 bucks off the tuition for Emerge. Jump in there and we'll get you started on your journey toward being a whole life millionaire, toward getting to GoBundance, whatever you want. People in Emerge, people in Ascend, people in GoBundance all report back often the changes it's made in their lives financially, relationally, and everywhere else. So go to GoBundance.com, check all of that out, see wherever you are, dive into that particular area of GoBundance, and we'd love to see you inside of the tribe. Now, back to our show. You know, some, some young vice principal starts talking to my son about masculinity in a different way maybe than they've ever heard of it before. You're going to get a lot of dads that resist that. Is that have you faced that? Uh, you know, I'm sure you've faced maybe here or there, but is that something that you faced? Are dads mostly, uh, maybe moms as well, but especially dads, are they embracing uh, this message? Have they through time? Like how much of a need have you seen from the dad's perspective for this? Are they relieved that somebody's finally talking about this? Or is there some resistance to the idea that some dude's talking about masculinity in a different way than I know masculinity? Great question. I haven't been asked that question yet. And um, going back to when it started, a lot of the young men in the initial school where I started were coming from a household without a male role model, a father figure in that household, or it was a, in a very you know toxic way. So there, there was. I think the, one of the reasons why the kids grabbed onto it so quickly was because they saw the value in having a mentor in in their environment, and then that that idea of community. I've had a couple dads that have pushed back against it a little bit. They wanted to know what I was teaching, what the curriculum was. And one of the cool parts, Jamie, is that I had ideas. I My curriculum was pretty much John Wooden's pyramid of success. It was, I was using some of those words. It was leadership. It was determination. It was perseverance. Like I would talk about these types of things, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go through and have, okay, we're going to read page 25 and then take a test or anything like that. So when I was working in a more affluent area, I had a couple of dads that were like, well, let me know if you need some advice on how to, how to handle that. Or I could come in and, and talk to the kids as well um, because they wanted to make sure that it wasn't, their son wasn't getting any advice from someone who wasn't them. But for the most part, the parents have been extremely supportive. The other cool thing that it did as we were having students that were struggling in one area or another, um, it could be with their grades. It could be, you know, their, the social situations in school, their emotions, um, even just physically kids were struggling. I would offer this to parents saying, you know, we've tried this, this, and this. Why don't you have your son join this program? This could be something of benefit to him moving forward. And I think once once I was able to gain enough of a reputation with the parents, they knew that I was in it because I cared for their son. I cared about their future. I cared about their success in and out of school. And it wasn't just for that grade, that, that school year. I was at the food store yesterday and I, I bumped into a kid that was in the initial building men program going back to 2005, 2006. And he's this huge dude. He went and played college basketball. He gives me a hug. Mr. Moralda, so good to see you again. He shakes my hand and he goes, you know, me and my boys every once in a while, we'll dap it up when we see each other. He goes, but when I'm (laughs) meeting someone in a professional sense, he goes, I remember what you taught us about shaking hands with someone with good, firm handshake, looking them in the eye, using their name, treating people with respect in that initial meeting. And so this is a kid now, he's probably 28 years old. 29 years old. And he remembers those lessons that we, that we learned way back in the day. I taught him how to tie a tie. I taught him how to change a tire. I'm, I wasn't allowed to do that. I wasn't allowed to bring a group of boys out and have them jack up my car and learn how to change a tire. But I did it because I felt like that's something you need to learn how to do. You need to learn how to be able to change your own tire, uh, you know, as a man in society. Today. So those little life lessons really 
permeated what I was doing. And I, I seen how it still impacts them now as they're entering into fatherhood as well. It's been a really um, gratifying experience for me seeing the benefit of it for the future. That sort of segues nicely into what I wanted to ask you, which is, is there a story? So, you know, you found fulfillment and purpose in what, in what you're doing with building men from a long time ago for, you know, 15 plus years at this point. That's one story that just happened, just kind of happened yesterday. But as if somebody were to go up to you and say, Hey man, like, what's the thing? Is there one guy, one student, one, one story, or maybe there's not, maybe there's a, 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 a mishmash of them, but <clears throat> is there a story or a set of stories that stands out as like, if I never did anything else other than that, that would have been enough to fill my purpose in life or something close to that. You know, is there one story that stands out to you is what I'm asking. A couple come to mind and I'll, I'll pick out two really impactful, important ones. Sure. Um, one was, uh, I'll, I'll do my best to, to breathe through the emotional part of this. Um, I had a student who came to my school. I was on the Jersey shore as a principal, um, as a fifth grade student with down syndrome and pretty much nonverbal. And he, his dad wanted him to be a part of a social group. So he joined building men as a fifth grade student and he would come. We, we held our meetings every Wednesday morning and the kids came to school at seven 15 every Wednesday morning to be a part of this group. And so he came every single Wednesday morning. He was a very passive participant. He, you know, he'd shake hands with everybody in the beginning. By the time he got to eighth grade, um, it was their turn to then lead. So they would take, they would work in groups and they would lead a building men meeting about a specific topic. And they would, you know, there was always um, a, a greeting. We would shake hands with every with everyone. There would be some type of a sharing where they would share something we would participate. It could be, you know, the start of the year, what's your favorite subject in school, flavor of ice cream. Towards the end of the year, it was what's one thing they're really scared about as they're moving towards high school. And community was so strong by that time. The kids were willing to talk about anything and everything. And then we would do some type of an activity. It could be some goofy game or whatever, but they would meet that need for fun in the morning. And so this young man, his eighth grade year, led a group. And I can still remember back to meeting with his parents afterwards. And they were in tears telling me about how much of an impact it made on him being involved with this community. You never know when you have a, a child of special needs, especially with Down syndrome, how they'll be received by their peers. Not only was he received by this group of, of young men, he was revered for his courage and being able to get up and, and lead um, a group. It was so impactful for me. And it was at that moment where I said, wow, I, uh, if nothing else happens in education, the lesson, not only that he learned, but the other young men learned, it's, it's something that's a game changer. The other story is a, a young man came out of the closet during a building men meeting. He shared with the, the, with the rest of the group, um, a seventh grade boy, that he was gay. And to have the courage, as I, I can't even imagine me being seven in seventh grade, having someone say that to me or having the courage to say something like that. I remember sitting back and I, they hugged him, shook his hand, told him how courageous he was. Stuff like that didn't happen. And it doesn't happen frequently. So those were two moments. I just was like, you know what? This is, this is something that I'll never forget. And this is impactful beyond what I thought it could possibly be. It's been allowed recently, it feels like, 
for what you're focused on to be focused on. And when I say allowed, I mean, uh, you know, it's becoming more and more acceptable and, but still to your point is in short supply. And that is the focus on, you know, you know, men, future men, masculinity, what that is. I mean, there's always been, it feels like there's always been, uh, uh, we've always been okay as a society with, you know, women's groups and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, women coming together around a common cause, which makes sense. Women have suffered for a, a long time, you know, uh, in this country, men have had, had advantages, but that shift uh, of, you know, masculinity being, having the courage to be authentic in some ways, right? Like that, that being the definition versus masculinity, masculinity being the biggest, toughest, strongest dude in the room. You don't cry. You don't do this. You don't do that. Uh, it's, it's overdue. It's in need, meaning more work here is needed, you know, and, what what you're doing is so powerful. You can see it. You can see it emotionally from you. And I, I want to touch on this topic. I've been thinking about this because this hit close. I was wondering if I bring it up, but I'm going to. This hit close to home. And I don't even know if you have, an, have any opinions on this, but this hit close to home recently. Uh, and it's hit a lot of communities and that's uh, uh, school shootings. So we had one in, in uh, Metro Detroit uh, as of the time of this recording um, at Oxford High School. And, you know, actually a, a member of our Ascend community lives very close by and his daughter, uh, thankfully is okay, but knew some people impacted. So, you know, it, it was close to home kind of in two ways in that regard. And for all of us, we have the advantage of, wow, you know, incredible hug your kids and all of that. But these shootings consistently are with young men. These are young men that this happens with. Yes. Do you see with the work you've done, do you see correlation between potentially the work you're doing and how that can avoid some of this from happening. I mean, everybody talks about gun control. That's the first thing that comes up. Gun control, gun control, gun control. And I, I'll be honest, I don't know how you can control guns out of the system. I just don't know how you do it, right? So I just think, I get it. You know, we want to be smart with it. Do you, whatever. I, I don't really have a strong opinion one or the other, other than to think you're going to get rid of guns as a fool's errand. That's just not going to happen, in my opinion. But working on the mental health aspect is what always is talked about as the core issue. But below that, to me, when you look at this common thread of, typically young white men in particular, do you see your work having an impact potentially in that arena? Or maybe you have seen it have an impact in that arena. Absolutely. 100%. I would say, has it had an impact? I would love to think that connections that I have made and, and communities that we were able to establish have helped students understand that there is someone out there that cares about them, someone out there that um, is there for them, that will have their back, that will listen to them. So could it be not saying that it, it prevented any type of uh, horrific event like you're referring to right now, Jimmy, but I believe that being a part of something of community larger than yourselves will give that level of purpose of meaning um, where some doing something horrific like that is not even something you might consider. So I do believe that, that the building men program in the past has helped students avoid decisions that they may have otherwise made um, if they weren't a part of that. I, I like to believe that. As far as do, do I think that building men plays a role? What plays a role? I, without a doubt, what plays a role is students that are doing this. They're, they're coming from a specific, they are young white men. They are, um, they're disconnected. They, they are, they don't have a large social group. They've, they've had something in the past, some trauma that at the time didn't know, they didn't know how to, how to handle it. And I, I identify trauma or I would um, define trauma as an experience that you go through where at that moment you are unable to emotionally handle it. You're unable to emotionally 
handle a specific situation. I talk very candidly about a specific traumatic event that I experienced when I was in middle school and it impacted how I showed up in middle school, in high school, in college, in my relationships up until the past couple of years because of this specific event. And if time permits, I could certainly please. share it with you. Yeah, dive in, please. So I was, I was in sixth grade, uh, made the baseball team. Um, and there were three kids in my neighborhood that were older than me, two years older, who I played sports with. I was very um, involved with, you know, stuff in the community, played baseball, fast basketball, football with them. So I made the team and they didn't. So these were three kids, Frankie, Louie, and Vinny. So coming from a Italian area in Jersey, where I came from, they were, they had those stereotypical names, sure. uh, but I made the team. They didn't make the team. And um, they started making fun of me. It was spring of my sixth grade year. I want to say it was in spring of 1989 in, uh, in Old Bridge, New Jersey. Um, I would come home from, uh, from school. Um, they would start throwing things at me on the bus, flicking my ear, making fun of me. Then they started to push me on the bus in the, in the halls in school. I would track my route in school to make sure I never saw these kids. So you, like we've all been in that type of situation. We talked about it on my podcast as well. When you were getting targeted by kids, I would get off the bus and I would sprint home. Some days I made it. Some days I didn't. Some days they would catch me and I would get my ass kicked so that it became more physical in nature. So that's going on. And I'm also growing up in a, in a household where my father was more of the, you know, boys don't show emotion. I didn't see my father cry until the last year of my life. My father didn't tell me that he loved me for, so I was in this household where he was a strong blue collar guy, roll up your sleeves, do the work, shut your mouth. Don't be a pussy. That was pretty much how I grew up. And so now I'm really anxious and nervous about what's going on in school. And I remember I was driving with him. He took me, he was taking me to the gym to work out for baseball. And on the way home, these three kids are out there in the middle of the street and they threw up the middle finger and they yell out, fuck you as loud as they could. He pulls into the driveway, tells me to go inside and he goes up to confront them now. So now it's my father going to talk to 15 year old kids. He comes back into the house and I'm in my room shaking and he goes, I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. You're going to go up there and kick his ass. No kidding. I swear. To, and th- th- this is just the tip of the iceberg with the story. I'll, I'll tell it in a really succinct way. No, you're I, I, wow. I, I, I couldn't move. I was frozen. I couldn't move. And he goes, go up there and kick his ass right now. And I, I still didn't move. And he goes, they were right. You are a fucking punk. Close my door, slammed the door, walked out of my room. He didn't speak to me for the next month of my life. Because I wouldn't go and fight these kids. I was in tears, bawling my eyes out. A minute later, my mom walks into the room, Jamie. And now I'm thinking, okay, my father just shut me down because I wouldn't go fight these kids. He called me a pussy and he basically stormed out of my room. My mom is here to embrace me, this level of safety and security in my life. And she goes, you just lost your best friend, your father. And she walks out of the room. So now I'm at this, this time in my life where I'm in sixth grade and I just I was afraid to go and fight this kid. And then the two people that were supposed to provide love, security, with their like undying support of me, abandoned me. So now, as I leave this situation, um, I am like, okay, what do I need to do now so this doesn't happen to me again? So I need to people please. I need to make people happy. I can't be any kind of confrontation. I need to stifle myself because my athletic ability became a difficult thing for me in this situation. So I became this approval seeking guy for a long period of my life. And it showed up in my, 
my relationships, even in, in a, I was looking for people in a, in a relationship that were more abusive in nature because that's what I deserved. So I was married for 17 years and I didn't even realize it until afterwards that that's what I experienced even in, in a marriage was I was looking for someone that would put me down. I was looking for someone that would shame me. I was looking for someone who um, would withhold intimacy from me. And I, that's, I was constantly seeking approval of it. It wasn't until going through the divorce and reinventing myself that I saw all of these things that were happening in this trauma that I experienced. And I'll bring it back to that initial question. Oh, and that cool. is, is at that point in my life, I experienced a trauma. There were like three things all in one, you know, these three traumatic bullied being beaten up, my father abandoning and my mom double downing on that abandonment. And so the way that trauma manifests itself in me was becoming an approval seeker and trying to make people happy and not get into conflict situations and not being assertive. There are kids that are experiencing some type of trauma in their life. They're unsure of how to deal with the emotion. So that might come out in overly aggressive behavior, being, um, you know, really interested in, you know, getting revenge on someone through, you know, some type of a horrific um, outburst of either emotion of some kind of a physical outburst on someone as well. To me, if there was a group, there was someone that I could have gone to and just been like, listen, kiddo, I'm here for you. Listen, kiddo, it, you're 12. It's okay to cry. It's you're 12. It's okay to, to feel like you've just gone through something really difficult. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'll be there to support you. Not having that myself, I can totally understand kids that are unable to deal with the emotion of a situation without a supportive adult, how it can turn into something like this, like what we've seen over the past couple of years. And listen, I was a principal during the school shooting in Sandy Hook. And, and uh, so I remember how nervous and anxious the kids were, but we also had this community established. So the long-winded answer to that is schools need to provide opportunities for children to be known, for children to have those needs met, to feel as though they, they can be themselves in an authentic way, but know that even if they're different and unique, that there's someone that is there to love them, to support them and to guide them on that journey. So you know, that it won't be a one stop shop where we just put a bandaid over and it's all over with, but it, it needs to be systemic in, in nature when we're building community and we're, we're helping kids deal with those traumas that they've experienced it and just being there to support them as well. Um, thank you for sharing. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, wow. I didn't know that. I knew, uh, you know, we talked a bit about the bullying thing. I went through some bullying, but I'll be honest, I at least had the support of my mother and my father, you know, to the point where they were like, that's ah, wrong. You know, again, could they have handled things a little bit differently? Sure. But holy crap to have your parents both shun you in the moment of need that you had most. Yeah. I, I always think about that with the, with the school shooting, like the, to go through with that, like you just see the, the you see the, the footage, but think about the kid packing up the stuff, going to the school and then executing this plan, like what's going on? Like the amount of emotional trauma that that could, I'm not, this is not excusing the behavior at all, right. but to your point, uh, there's a lot happening there for somebody to go through something like that. You know? Absolutely. It, it breaks my heart. It, it breaks my heart for the families of this, of the students that it happened to, but it also breaks my heart of, of, for that student, how many people missed 
the yeah. signs, the warning signs. And this could be a kid that is just crying out for someone to be there. No one did. And obviously whatever, um, whatever traumas they've dealt with in their past. A lot of the guys that I've spoken to on building men on the podcast have had a specific event in their life, a trauma in their life. And the way that it, it shows up is in such a negative way until they, they have someone to help them through it and to realize um, that there are people out there. And again, I'm not excusing any of this. It's, it's absolutely, no, horrific. but you know, could we have avoided these situations? Should if there was a program in schools, if there was something to help them feel connected and a part of a community? If I'm feeling like my voice is heard, like I'm I'm able to have those needs met in a supportive community that people care about me, they know me, they love me. It, it could have been a totally different situation. Wow, I don't know how to pivot exactly, but we're going to. I want to talk a bit about what you're doing with building men and specifically your your what I love about you is you're all in on things. Like building men went from July 4th launch to amazing podcast. You're in studio now. I mean, I see all this stuff that you're doing. It's unbelievable what you've done with the podcast, with the brand. Uh, you talked about earlier, you know, diving into the brain and even communication. I want to touch on here in a moment, sure. your passion for and how, because this is what you're all about, right? You're, you're driving forward uh, uh, and learning about how the brain operates in communication. But talk first about that. Like, what are the learnings you've had or the revelations you've had about the brain, what it sees, how it finds what it needs to find all of that stuff? Absolutely. So as, a, as an administrator, I worked a lot with teachers around communication, um, the nonverbal communication. A lot of communication is our body language, our facial expressions, what we're doing with our hands, our proximity when we're talking to students. So I, I tell teachers to be very cognizant of nonverbal communication. To teach kids what their nonverbals mean. Uh, here's another thing I tell the teachers. When I, I tell teachers to tell me things that they do as far as nonverbal communication, and then they tell me, and I say, okay, when do you teach those your kids what your nonverbals mean? And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I say, if you're going to be communicating nonverbal, you need to teach kids what your nonverbals mean. So that's one part of it. There's mm -hmm. paraverbal communication. Paraverbal is the, the tone, the volume, and the cadence at which we say the words that we say. Paraverbal communication is a lot of the miscommunication, the disagreements with your significant other is in the paraverbal communication. It's, it's the way that you say what you're saying. So something is said in a specific cadence with a specific volume. Um, it, it attaches some kind of a meaning that you might not even have an, intended, but mm -hmm. the paraverbal communication is the tone, volume, and cadence in what you're saying. And I, when I do a workshop, I do a lot around paraverbal communication. I say one sentence, but I say it seven different ways. And every single time I say it, it means something totally different. So I tell teachers to be cognizant of that. One thing that I really failed to recognize was the power of the actual words that we're saying and the work that I've done. And I'm um, now a certified and lifted coach. And what we do within the Enlifted program, to me, it was such an impactful journey to go on. It's being cognizant of the words that we're using when we're speaking to ourselves. And so much of us, so many of us get into, into these difficult spots in our life because we're using victim language and we have this victim mentality. And the idea of, of like a victim mindset, basically, it's an acquired personality trait where people think of themselves as the victim of the negative actions of other people, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality, it, it basically, it's this habitual thought process where we're using soft talk, and soft talk is using words like maybe and might and should and could and think and one day and kind of and sort of. So we're using these really soft languages. We're using negative self-talk, I, I can't, I won't, I shouldn't, 
um, don't like, so we're th- these negative words and then we're using projections, which we're putting things that are happening to us. It's happening because of someone else or because of an, another situation. So while that might be the case, what, what I try to help people do is understand the language that we're using when we're speaking to ourselves is so important and impactful. I've learned about something, um, a guest that I had on his name is Mark England, and he's the creator of this program. He does, he did a program called Procabulary, and now he's done this in Lifted Coaching Program, where he talks about something called the reticular activating system in our brain. And basically what it does is it, you, you're, you will look for things that you're, you'll see things that you're looking for. And so often what we do is we talk negatively to ourselves and we, t- we talk about things that we can't do. We won't be able to do. I won't be able to pay the mortgage this month or what if I can't do this or what if my business tanks or what if I don't sign this client or whatever it is. And so we're in this negative self-talk. What we try to do is move it into what if the good shit? What if I make $500,000 this year? What if I get this guest on the podcast? What if my podcast now becomes sponsored by such and such an organization? And when we do that, we start to look for those positive things in our life. So if I use the example, you know, if I tell you to, to look around your, your office, your studio for everything that's green, pick out every single thing that's green, and then close your eyes and tell me all the red things that are in the room, you'll be like, oh, I didn't look for the red things. And I would say, exactly. What I want you to do is look for the, the, the positive things. So if you're really looking for those positive things, you will absolutely see them. So the work that I do is around the positive self-talk that we have. And here's a quick, a quick game that I'll play with you. Yeah, uh, let's do it. So give me one big goal that you have for yourself for the next 12 months. It could be personal, professional, one big goal. Two comma club award winner. Say that again. <laughs> Is that a comic club award winner? Two, two comma. So Russell Brunson, ClickFunnels guy with Emerge. I want to. Okay. I want. I, I want to win a two comma club award, which means you've done a million dollars in online course sales. All right, two comma club award winner. Yeah. So you would say I will be a two comma club award winner in the next twelve months. Correct. I will be a two comma club award winner in the next twelve months. How does that feel when you say that? Feels good strong. You could, you could see in the next 12 months, there's a date attached to it. So now what I want you to do is what people do in situations like that is they use the words might, maybe, and um, should. Let me make sure it's, uh, or I guess. So what I want you to do is say that same thing, but add in the words, I guess, maybe, or might. So I guess I will win a two comma club award in the next 12 months. Maybe. Maybe. So when you say it that way, how does it feel? <laughs> I can feel my voice tonality and my shoulders coming down. So it feels deflating. Like it feels like, yeah, yeah. it's 100%. like wasted words almost. Yeah. So I, I saw your body language. You definitely yeah. slunk yeah, down the chair a little bit. You did. You went from however tall you are to five foot one. You just, you definitely shrunk down. I am five foot one. What do you mean? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Five, seven, five, seven. So the interesting thing there was, I, what I like to do is point out to people the, the absurdity of talking in a soft way. So mm-hmm. once you say it in that strong way, I will be a two comma club winner in the next 12 months. You just feel this level of strength and confidence. Then you say it in a, in a soft way. I might kind of maybe sort of should have, could have. Then you're like, wow, 
you start to see the reticular activating system. You start to see times when you're using soft talk, when you're speaking to yourself and how that is holding you back from, from achieving a goal in your life. Mm-hmm. So now I've become so fascinated with the words we're using when we're talking to ourselves, not just the nonverbal and the paraverbal communication, the actual words that we're using. When we become the architect of the words that we're using, anything is possible. So now what I do is I'm working with individuals, helping them retrain these stories in their heads that gets them out of this victim mindset and victim mentality. So we'll start with, and it, it's deep work that I'm doing with people right now. So I, as I went through it, I had to go through that story that I just told you. And I'll be honest, usually the first time that I told that story, I broke down in tears. When I retold that story, then what I try to do is help people understand, like, let's look at the words that we're using and then how we're breathing through stories as well, which is a really powerful thing. Mm. Um, The way that we're breathing and and it gets us from breathing up in our chest and we get really anxious and nervous. We start talking quick and short and we're breathing in our chest to breathing through the story. So even when I told you that story, I tried to take a couple deep breaths as I said it, because now I'm, what we're trying to do, Jamie, is stories that we're telling ourselves, we are in it. So it's like a book right in front of our face. And what I try to do is help people take the book and move it away from, so they're not inside of the story anymore. Now they're reading a story of something that happened. They are not they are no more a, a victim of that story. So it's some deep work around language that we're using. But I've seen such an impact, even as I went through the program, how it changed me and how the stories that I'm telling myself and now that I'm working with other individuals, how it's changing the way that they're seeing themselves as well. Is this a component of, I'm curious, you mentioned before about recognizing after the fact, the pattern of seeking out abusive relationships. Uh, and, and it sounds like that might've been what the relationship was with your wife, but you didn't recognize it until you know after 17 years or at least some point along the way. The, the the recognition of that pattern is it part and parcel with this work that you're doing like how did you how did you yeah just speak to that absolutely and it took me a while to recognize what i was in it's it's like when you're inside of whatever's going on it's tough to see it's like the last thing that the fish realizes is that it, it was ever in water yeah right so you pull a fish out of water it's like holy shit I was in water this whole time. You you don't really realize it. So being able to separate yourself from the story that you're telling yourself absolutely helps get you out of that victim victim mindset and repeating those habitual behaviors that we're doing because of this, whatever happened in our past, whatever happened to us as we were growing up, we all have those stories that we tell ourselves. Um, It's getting ourselves out of that and being the fish out of the water now. And, you know, hey, now I actually see what's going on here. Now I could not, um, you know, perpetuate that same exact way that I showed up in previous experiences and previous relationships. And we all do it. And I know for myself, I was like, why did I always go for someone who was X, Y, and Z and then didn't appreciate me or made me feel like I was an, uh, I was a, an outsider. Or I was a stranger, even in my own home. How did I, how did I get to that point? Um, and so it helped me retrain that story to where I'm like, you know what? I am no longer a victim of that. I am now going to be the architect of my story moving forward. Amazing. We're linguistic beings. I say that often. We talk about it in Emerge quite a bit with the the idea that language matters. What you say to yourself, what you say to others, it matters. Like that, you know, the words that you use and that you choose to use uh, can be impactful. So, wow. All right, let's pivot over and talk about hero's journey. The hero's journey. Let's. What is that? And just share with us what you're trying to accomplish within when when it happens and all of that. Sure. So the hero's journey is actually going to be a retreat for men. It's a men's retreat. It will be. April 29th, 30th, and May 1st in Lake Tahoe. 
Um, I'm partnering with my younger brother, Anthony, who's my partner on the Building Men podcast with Austin Lenny. He's the host of Construct Your Life and the Brain Dump podcast and Chase Tollison, who Mm -hmm. uh, does the Primal Pathways podcast. And so the four of us have uh, partnered with a guy named Mark Picard, who is, he's the former star of Cirque du Soleil in Vegas. Um, He was there for eight years and now he, he moved out to Spain and he does digital marketing and he's an ultra marathon runner. He simplified his life in a way where he got out of the glitz and glam. And now he is, so he's doing the marketing behind the event. So it's going to be a three day, two night event in, um, in Lake Tahoe. And basically it is, it's working with um, this hero's journey, like understanding we are on this hero's journey and then dealing with the language we're talking to us using when we're talking to ourselves, our identity, it's going to be a, like, there's going to be physical fitness aspects to it, to it as well. So between my brother and Chase Tollison are both physical, they're both just units, they're beasts. So they're going to, we're going to, there's going to be breath work. There's going to be meditation. There's going to be a cold plunge. There's going to be physical challenges and exercises. There's a high ropes confidence course that's there as well. But within that, we're going to be working individually and, and groups with men around the stories that we're using when we're speaking to ourselves. So it's this holistic experience and you come out of it on the other side with this idea that you've just gone through a, like a manly rite of passage. Um, and it's not just like, all right, we're going to throw heavy shit around. It's going to be like, we're going to dive deep into all the shit that we're experiencing as men. You mentioned before these ideas of masculinity and what our fathers told us and how I shared I was raised. Yeah. I think it's, it's, more, it's more challenging as a man to go deep and be vulnerable and not just push the stuff down, but to deal with the shit that's happening. If we're going to show up in the best way we can for our family, our friends, our significant other, our children, we need to do the work and understand what are those stories that we're telling ourselves. So we're helping people go deep and, and remove those things, look at them and say, you know what, that doesn't define me anymore. I am, um, you know, I am, I'm a hero in my own journey and I'm capable of so much in my life. And a couple of great parts of this is not only that, you know, we'll definitely have a, a t-shirt, um, a heroes, the hero's journey t-shirt. We building men podcast just got sponsored by, a guy named Pete McNally, who does a, um, he has a, a business called Become Stronger Industries. And he, he makes these handmade steel maces. They're, they're totally badass. And he's just like, he's a, a man's man kind of guy. So they sponsored Building Men. And so everyone who goes on this Hero's Journey um, retreat will get a personalized steel mace um, as part of the journey as well. Cool. Um, and so there is this like, you know, manly essence to it, but it also does some deep emotional work at the same time. So that's, um, that's coming up April 29th through May 1st in Lake Tahoe. I think that's part, I see, uh, April 29th to May 1st. And where are people, I'll, I'll, I was going to say real quick, I think that's part of being manly though, right? Is the ability to be a guy like this, this primal being, but at the same time able to share the emotion. That's the courageousness of masculinity. So I love that you share that. How do people find this? Is it on your website? Where, where can folks go to, to sign up if they're interested? Depending on when this podcast comes out right now, they could um, direct message me um, on Instagram. It's building.men is our Instagram building men coach at Gmail is my, um, my email address. Um, but by the time this comes out, w- there will be promotion on all of our sites as well. Um, it'll be between me, um, Austin Linney and Chase Tollis, and it'll be on all of our websites as well. So we, the, the, there will be enough promotional materials out there. So it'll be buildingmen.io is, is the name of the building men is that's the building men website. We'll promote it on that, on that site as well, where people can just, you know, reach out to me via direct message or send me an email. Yeah. Great Instagram account. There's a great podcast, all of that. So let's do that. So uh, is there anywhere else, anywhere else you want folks to do, to be directed uh, just to learn more about you, the podcast, obviously anything else beyond besides that. 
I would start there. You could definitely learn a lot about me through the podcast. It's me yeah. and my younger brother, Anthony. Um, a lot of it is brothers. We There's some ball busts and we, you know, we definitely, we laugh a lot during the episode, but we get into some deep topics and there's nothing that we are afraid to talk about. When I started the podcast, it was me doing a solo cast as a principal, pretty much. It was like a 12 minute podcast where I would have five points. I would read a script and, you know, say a quote or a poem and then wrap it up. Now we, we roll up our sleeves and we get deep into stuff and we, there's no topic that's off limits to us. We both share everything that goes on in our life and understand that there are so many cool stories out there of resiliency, of perseverance, of men that have overcome these really crazy obstacles. And a lot of it is what, what can we do to help other people that are behind us? You just did a, a recent post about you know, someone who's just a step or two uh, in front of you. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do is reach those people who might just need a little bit of a, of um, someone reaching back their hand and helping them up in whatever area of their life. It doesn't necessarily just have to be with their financial success. It can be physical fitness. It could be emotional health. It could be spiritual health. It can be the language that we're using. Like I mentioned when we talk to ourselves. So that's what we do on this podcast. That's the best place to start. If you want to learn about us is take a listen to a couple of the podcasts you're on. Um, we called it the bridge builder. That's, that was the name of the, of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. when you were on um and you'll you'll learn a lot about me and and what i'm about and my younger brother as well man i I mean we could do this for another hour but i'll leave it there i know you got another one to jump on after this so i appreciate you dennis so much for coming on man i I can't thank you enough for for pouring your heart out and giving all of the all of our listeners such amazing information on on god just a broad range of topics i don't even know i'm going to name this episode at this point there's just there's a lot there so brother appreciate you love you and thank you so much for coming on Right back at you, Jamie. Love you too, my man. Appreciate it. Thank you. The wrong tribe confounds. The right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller, Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Go Abundance Podcast. We hope to see you at a live event in the near future. If you're new to us, here's a quick explanation of our programs. Number one, Emerge, a web-based journey for millionaires to be. Number two, Ascend, an interactive mastermind, the next stage of our journey. Number three, GoBundance Elite, the original tribe of millionaires. Number four, GoBundance Champions, five million net worth and above. Number five, GoBundance Women, a tribe of amazing badass women. For detailed information on all five of these, simply find us at GoBundance.com. Until then, grab life big.